Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry. Hooray. That makes this Stuff You Should Know. That's right. How's it going? It's going well. Great. You got your uh, canned soda? Uh, canned diet soda with, um, unfortunately, it contains phenylketonurics. <laughs> yeah. Which is a big problem. Have you looked into that? Well, I mean, I don't drink that stuff as a rule because of all the junk in it. No, but have you ever looked into that condition? It's a metabolic condition, I think. Yeah. Where it's like you can't have protein, basically. But you also have to live. Interesting. Yeah, it's it sounds terrible. I know you can clean a toilet with canned soda, and you can uh, make a penny shiny overnight. Yeah, you can loosen um, rusted nuts and bolts. Yeah, or you can drink it. Right. It's uh, the most delicious thing to do. It's <laughs> go juice. It is go juice of a type. Sure. You know me, I like uh, my orange soda every now and then, though, like the Waponi Woo. <laughs> that and a root beer is about all I'll Root beer is great. What about cream soda? Yeah. You're not a big cream soda fan? No, it's fine. I'll have, mm. I'll have one of those every two years. I'll have... I'd say that's about right. Five root beers a year <laughs> and about ten orange sodas a year. Do you have them in your <laughs> fridge with like a little bit of masking tape so they're numbered? Like they're no, I don't buy them and four. keep them in the house. They just... Uh, you should. It's probably cheaper by 30, 40 cents. Yeah, and this is not a big uh, statement on health and wellness. My family didn't buy that stuff growing up because we were, you know, they were teachers and we didn't have a ton of money. And What'd you drink? Water. Just water? A lot of water, too. Really? Yeah, especially in restaurants. We'll just have water. Ah, uh, yeah. That kind of deal. Gotcha. Because the other stuff costs money. But in retrospect, I'm glad, you know, because I never developed a big affinity for sodas. Yeah, no, that's... Pretty great for your mom. Yeah. So thanks, mom, for the yeah. milk, for the milk and water. Way to go. So Chuck. Yeah. I would say this is a perfect segue to what we're talking about today: animal camouflage. <laughs> yeah, we covered a little bit of the uh, this in the coolest animal ever, the octopus podcast. Yeah. We also talked about um, iridescence. I think. Yeah, and how else. do butterfly wings get their color? Yeah. That was, you know, when people say like. What's an episode that, that everybody overlooks that you thought was great? There's like 50 of them at least. Sure. More like 650. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would say that the Butterfly Wings episode is a really sterling example of that. Where it's just like you think it's going to be boring, but it led us into all sorts of stuff. Optics, color. Yeah. Light. Butterflies. Sure. Migration. Like all sorts of really cool stuff. Light. Yeah. Um, that one turned out to be really neat. Yeah. And you know what? You just reminded me. Um, we should mention that we have close to 700 podcasts now. We're really close. And a lot of people that um, maybe find us via iTunes or another pod player think you might, we might only have like 300. Yeah, it's funny to, to see that triumphant tweet like, just listen to all 300 yeah. episodes of stuff you should know. My life is complete. And we're it's like, like, oh mm-hmm. boy, I'm so sorry. You got a long road to hoe. But you can find all those. We have an RSS if you just Google stuff you should know RSS or go to our website stuff you should know.com. Click under podcasts. We have all 700 of them there. Yeah, you can also search Stuff You Should Know Archive, and it should bring up the archive page on our website, which has every single episode of Stuff You Should Know ever. And I think you can download them there, too, can't you? I think so. Who knows in this day and age? It's the 21st century. That's right. So animal camouflage, Chuckers. Yes. 
Uh, also, I want to give a shout out to a Board Panda um, article. 20 amazing examples of animal, animal camouflage. Oh, nice. It's nuts. Yeah. Some of the stuff these animals are doing these days. It's pretty cool. And you know why? Because <clears throat> they want to live. Yeah. It's natural selection at work, which is kind of like it, it's happening right in front of our eyes. We've covered natural selection at length in that episode, in the Darwin episode. Right. But as we all know, if an animal gets munched on or stomped on, uh-huh. it's not going to be around. So it adapts to the world around me and says, hey, I think I might want to look like that twig right. or I might want to blend in color-wise. Then I won't get eaten and I'm going to pass that down to my kids and they won't get eaten and all of a sudden we're a healthy, thriving species. Yeah, and through natural selection, a, a, an animal that has a trait that keeps it from being eaten allows it to say blend in, it raises the likelihood that it'll live long enough to reproduce to pass it on. That's right. And on the other hand, an animal that's, say, brightly colored and stands out in its environment, it's probably going to get picked off early on, won't have a chance to reproduce, so whatever traits it has won't necessarily be passed along. Yeah, and that's why almost every animal that you'll see on the planet Earth has some sort of blending in capability. Right. Um not always, you know, you'll see a big bluebird in the middle of the woods, obviously, or a cardinal. But mm. you'll also see a lot of deer and squirrels and ground mammals that are sort of brownie and gray. Yeah, it's not because they're just drab. It's no. because they're, again, trying to survive. Exactly. They they blend in with those earth tones. And if you look in the ocean, um, you will see some crazy fluorescent things. But you're also going to see a lot of uh, blue, grayish coloring. Um, in sea creatures because they'll blend into the uh, light, that soft light under the water. Right. And one of the reasons why animal camouflage is so widespread in adaptation is because it doesn't just help you from being hunted yourself. Yeah. It helps you to hunt. Yeah. That's you can a good use point. it to capture prey as well as hide from predators. Yeah. So it's just really versatile and great. It's fantastic stuff. It can help you kill and not be killed. Exactly. Which is the whole key. So, um, there's a, a couple of different ways or there's some factors involved in how animal camouflage will develop within a given species. Um, first and foremost, it depends on how the animal behaves and its physiology. Yeah, like uh, if you're a mammal, obviously your fur is going to play a large part. If you're a, a fish or an amphibian, your scales, your skin might. Right. If you're traveling big mm-hmm. packs, you might use that to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Or if you're a solo flyer, you might find a way to work that into your routine, <laughs> your survival routine. Yeah. So, I mean, the animal itself, the camouflage it develops, the, what type of animal it is and how it behaves, those are going to have a huge impact. So, too, will the environment. Probably sure. more than anything else, the environment yeah. will um, predict how the animal's camouflage will develop because what you want to do is blend into the background. And so the the natural habitat, the environment that the animal lives in, will become the model for the camouflage. Yeah, like if you're surrounded by green, <clears throat> you're probably going to be green. Right. Um, or you might be dead soon. <laughs> uh, the other is, uh, the final way is the physiology and behavior of the predators and prey that seek those animals out for lunch. Uh, so, for instance, if the your main predator is colorblind, then you're not going to mess with changing color. You might alter over time, uh, just like maybe the stripe pattern on your body or something. Right. It's about pattern, not color necessarily. Yeah. So the your own physiology and behavior, the behavior and, I guess, physiology of your predators yeah. or your prey, 
and then the actual environment that you inhabit. These are the big three when it comes to determining animal camouflage. Yeah, and most of the camouflage that we see around us all falls under the banner of blending in yep. to your surroundings. Just being casual. Yeah. Um, and then there's basically two ways. Color is, is huge. It's, yeah. It's not the only thing, but it's one of the bigger points of animal camouflage. Sure. And then there's two ways that color is produced here on planet Earth by animals. And it's either chemically or physically. Yeah. And chemically, colors are produced through pigments. That's right. Biochromes. They're uh, microscopic natural pigments. And they are they produce these colors chemically. And, uh, for instance, your chemical makeup might absorb some colors of light, reflect others. That's going to make you appear to be a different color or be a different color. Right, exactly. So, like, um, I looked up human pigment human pigmentation yeah. to see if that was an example of camouflage. Couldn't find anything. It wasn't like one of those ones where you do a Google search and you're like, oh, this is obviously a dumb question. <laughs> this was like, there just hasn't been a lot of academic study on it or whatever. Oh, for humans? Yeah. Like if uh, brown skin or peach skin? Yeah. Interesting. I think what it is ultimately is just an adaptation to the exposure to the sun rather than right. trying to blend in with your environment. That makes sense. But I, I wondered... I got my answer, I guess, yeah. through the fact that there wasn't an answer. All right. The other way you mentioned was uh, actually physical uh, <clears throat> structures. Uh-huh. And these are also microscopic, and they act like prisms. And one example they gave in the article was polar bears who actually have black skin, mm-hmm. but uh, they have translucent hairs. And the translucent hair turns all visible light into a rainbow, which is why polar bears look like rainbow colored. <laughs> Well, I don't think that's true. It's like on the Pink Floyd album cover. Yeah, that's a polar bear, right? Right. That's a polar bear hair. <laughs> right. That prism. Not true. No, but uh, apparently they have black skin underneath, but yeah. their hair manages to bend and reflect all light, almost all light, so yeah. they appear white. Isn't that nuts? That is nuts. But it's almost like, why, why not just have the darker skin evolve out? Just because the hair made it so it didn't need to? Maybe. I wonder if it serves some other purpose. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? That's a good question. Polar bear experts? Yeah, I bet you someone's going to know. Please let us know. (laughs) Um, Butterflies also have um, physical structures. Scales are also a physical structure um, because they do crazy things to light. And then some animals have both chemical and physical structures that create their camouflage. Apparently, a lot of reptiles are green. Because they have physical structures that bend light and reflect light, yeah. except for, say, yellow. But then they have pigments underneath the skin that create blue, or vice versa, probably, now that I say it out loud. And then you put the two together, and you have green, which helps for a snake that lives in bright green trees. Sure. Yeah, and all of these um, all these animals have their own uh, method, I guess, and with their physiology. Like, obviously, mammals have their fur. Um, fish, um, amphibians, reptiles, they're going to use their scales. Birds have their feathers. And even insects use their exoskeleton, um, which can actually, like, the texture of the exoskeleton can be changed over time to better blend in. Yeah, right. Like, think about the, um, the, the wings on a grasshopper. 
they look a lot like a leaf, right? Yeah. But one of the reasons they look like a leaf is not just because of the color, but because of the texture. It's got kind of this matte thing. If they were like a high shine polish, yeah. the thing would stand out pretty pretty clearly. So it's not just color. It's also texture as well and patterns, as we'll see. But color is probably the most widespread part of animal camouflage. Yeah, and apparently a squirrel, uh, the squirrel's fur is rough and uneven to resemble uh, the texture of tree bark. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I never really noticed that. I can spot a squirrel a mile away, though. Well, that's because there's like a zillion of them in Atlanta. And because I hate them. <laughs> oh, that's right. So we'll talk more about animal colors and all the neat stuff that can happen right after this message. Stuff you All right, we're back, and we are talking about changing of the seasons now because <laughs> animals will change themselves depending on the change of the seasons. They can actually adapt to the seasons to blend in. Do you see how cute these foxes are? Look at how cute that fox is. That's oh, the same type of fox. I love foxes. Like, so the Arctic fox lives in a um, an environment, a yeah. habitat, where some of the year it's snowy. Other parts of the year, it's, um, well, woody and muddy. Yeah. And so as a result, the Arctic fox has evolved to change its coat depending on the season. Yeah. That's a sharp adaptation. It's pretty awesome. And it's actually triggered by hormones. The, the, the animal senses the changing of the season because of like the shift in daylight, maybe shifts in temperature. Uh huh. And they'll release hormones and there'll be a reaction. And all of a sudden there are different biochromes being produced. And that little fox can change color. Right. They're, they're making different pigment, pigments. The thing is, um, and some bird species do this too, but a lot, well, not a lot of mammals, but some mammals will change their coat. The thing is, is you can't, or the, the fox or the bird can't do anything to change its actual coat. Right. Once the coat is grown out. Sure. It has to shed its coat or molt its feathers. Yeah. And then regrow new ones that better match the new thing. So that's why, um, apparently, a lot of mammals molt is to change the color of their coat. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. Have you ever seen the videos of the pet foxes on the internet? Yeah. Oh man, they're very cute. Little fluffy tails wagging and mm-hmm. like those little chirpy noises they make when they get petted. Yes, that one in particular. Adorable. Uh, and then Chuck, um, have you heard about the peppered moth? I don't think so. You have. Okay. It's this sterling example of natural selection in practice, but it's based on um, camouflage. Uh-huh. So in London, during the Industrial Revolution... That's London, England? Yes. Okay. It became so sooty that um, the white-bodied peppered moth, mm-hmm. which is exactly what it sounds like. It's kind of peppery looking. Yeah. It looks like if it landed on the side of a birch tree, you know, the white ones. Oh yeah. Those are beautiful. It would just blend right in because of the, the, the mixture of white and black. Yeah. The thing is, is there's so much soot produced during the beginning of the industrial revolution in London that this, these moths that had any white to them would stand out like a sore thumb. Sure. And were predicted eaten. Yeah. Uh, there was a variation on this called the black-bodied peppered moth. Did it change because of the soot? So the thing is, is the animal itself didn't change. Uh-huh. Different varieties of the same species, one was eaten, one thrived right. because of the change in the amount of soot. 
But it happened very quickly. How do they know they just weren't white moss covered with soot? They're, they're pretty <laughs> sure they're, they weren't. Okay. And then now that the soot has um, been whipped largely in London, um, the white-bodied pepper moth is now predominant again. Wow. Because it can blend in a lot more easily because there's less soot. Because London cleaned up its act. Yes. In some ways. Right. What ways has it not? I don't know. They like to drink a lot. <laughs> they, they really, they, they do. But don't they stop at like 11? No, I, I just remember like the Everybody only... starts drinking at 4, but, <laughs> and then they drink for several hours, but then they stop at 11. Oh, like the bars aren't open all night or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the only time I went to London, I just remember thinking, man, they really do drink a lot. This is great. Mm-hmm. And I remember buying beer, canned beer in the store, and I was like, oh, they've got its tall boys. And they were like, what's a tall boy? Right. <laughs> Like, we just call that a beer. That's a shorty. Yeah. You should see our tall boys. (laughs) You call them kegs. I can't wait to go back. We're hoping, spoiler, we're hoping to maybe come to London for a show. Fingers crossed. Uh, All right, so where were we? Oh, we were talking about (laughs) biochromes. Those are the cells on the uh, near to the skin surface. Or, in the case of the octopus or the cuttlefish, Mm -hmm. you can have deeper cells called chromatophores, which we talked about at length in the octopus episode. And those are amazing. Those are pigmented cells that uh, the the octopus and the cuttlefish can basically manipulate these cells and contract and, and expand these things. Yeah, like the surface area can expand up to 500% when they want to show that particular pigment. Yeah, and a good, uh, I don't know if we had mentioned this in, in the last uh, octopus one, but a good way to see this in action is to take like a balloon, like a red balloon, and just blow it up a little bit and tie it off. You know, if you squeeze that balloon... It's going to change its color. It's going to become lighter. And then when you yeah. unsqueeze it or let it go, it's going to go back to that dark red. And that's kind of the same thing that's going on with the manipulation of the chromatophore. Right. And that's different shades of its, of the same color. Well, they yeah, have different true. chromatophores of totally different colors. And they can call up what they want, right? Yeah. So if they want like all black, they could reduce the size of everything but black and just show the black. But they can also mix and match. To create colors that are basically a blend yeah. of their different colored chromatophores. So if they have blue and yellow and they're showing those equally, they'll have a nice healthy shade of green overall. And with cuttlefish in particular, they've done some recent study and they found that not only do they have chromatophores, they have two other structures that help too. They have leucophores, which scatter light very yeah. efficiently. Then they also have iridophores, which produce iridescence. So that's why it's not just like a flat color change. It's yeah. like these are it's like magic when you see an octopus quick change color or a yeah. cuttlefish. They have iridophores too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It looks like they it, it, it looks like it's just become a completely different animal, not just color-wise, but texture and all that. It's all just optical illusions. Yeah, the, the octopus can shape <clears throat> texture and color in a second. Right. It's not like, I mean, if you've seen the video, it's not the kind of thing that's like, oh, it's changing now. Yeah. I mean, you blink your eyes and it's a underwater plant. Exactly. What's nuts, though, Chuck, is they've studied the cuttlefish and it's this color-changing maniac. Yeah. Cuttlefish are colorblind. They have no idea. They know that it's visually driven because they've deprived it of visual cues before and shown that it's not quite as adept at changing its colors. Yeah. So they know that it's vi- it's visually driven, but they have no idea how a cuttlefish can tell what color to change to because it's colorblind. Isn't yeah. that cool? Well, maybe, I don't know. There's no mirrors down there. Maybe they don't even know what color it is. Maybe not. Maybe it's all some other sense that we've yet to discover. Yeah, the cuddle sense. 
Um, I guess we can, I, I know we mentioned this in another one, uh, about the chameleon. It may have been, or is that a don't be dumb episode? What? That chameleons don't change their color to blend in. They actually change color depending on their mood. I've not done that one. I heard that, I think, for the first time a couple of years ago. I had always thought, like a lot of people, that the chameleon, you know, lands on something green, it's going to turn green. Yeah, as far as any paint commercial I've ever seen featuring a <laughs> chameleon, that's the story, you know? Yeah, but they, like I said, they change when their mood changes, um, and not necessarily depending on their surroundings. Right. So they're basically showing, like, I'm happy. I'm yeah. fluorescent orange right now. Let's go, uh, ha- let's go to happy hour. Right. Um, so, so far we've got hormonal changes to either Changes in temperature or changes in uh, sunlight leading to molting yeah. or shedding of fur in a new coat. Um, you've got some sort of visually driven behavior in some pretty amazing animals like the octopus or the cuttlefish. Um, you've got uh, chameleons changing based on their mood, which, again, I guess would probably be hormonally triggered. Yeah. And then... You've also got some that change their color, their camouflage based on diet, like the nudie branch. Yeah. Did or you... as I like to call it, the nudie branch. <laughs> yeah, the nudie branch. Did you look at these? Uh, no. Uh, amazing. It's one of those like super brilliant, fluorescent, <laughs> uh, very colorful things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are sea creatures and they alter their diet uh, depending on what kind of coral um, they are near. They will eat that coral. And deposit that pigment um, from the coral into their skin right. and their intestines, and it'll just change the color to blend in with what they're eating, basically. Yeah, because what they're eating is also what they're living on. So when they eat a specific type of coral and that changes their color, they blend in with their surroundings. Pretty ingenious. Yeah. Smart nudie branches. Way to go. Uh, there are also fish who change uh, color without changing their diet. Um, and that is sort of like the molting in mammals and birds. Uh, the fish, and this, this is something that happens over time. Right. It's not like I'll eat and change colors. Uh, but if a fish changes environment as a species, it's going to get new cues and, uh, look around and say, well, I might want to think about turning a little more green over time <laughs> as a species. <laughs> I might want to think about that. So I'm going to release some hormones and, uh, maybe over time my, my sons and my son's sons might eventually really blend in well. Right. And, oh, crap, here comes a shark. Yeah, hide. Exactly. Have you heard of the glass frog? Uh-uh. It's neat. It's translucent, so you can see its internal organs very clearly. Oh, wow. Um, but I was like, what What adaptation is that? Seriously. Like, how does that figure with, with animal camouflage? And um, n- no one's sure. There's no definitive answer. But it seems like the best theory I saw was that um, its translucent skin makes it invisible. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Which makes sense because its guts are green, uh-huh. and I think it's a tree frog, so it's it's invisible, I guess, to some predators. Or maybe it just wants to be a part of the body's exhibit really badly. It looks like that. It's yeah. the frog version of the invisible man. Man, I'll have to check that out. So we'll talk more about some other uh, uses for uh, camouflage right after this. We talked about coloration and stuff like that, but there are also designs um, that animals can use to uh, blend in, and that is the model uh, pattern that they're using, like, let's say, a zebra stripes. Right. They have those vertical stripes. Yeah, and it's black and white, and if you go on a safari... Probably the first thing you would ever notice is a zebra. 
Yeah. Sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Look at that the, crazy, weird looking horse. Right. That can never be domesticated because they're too wild and too mean. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is the zebra is not, uh, camouflaged for you. It doesn't care about you or your family. No. It cares about the lions that's hunting it. And lions are colorblind. So they can't see that a zebra is black and white and the leaves and grass that it's blending in with are brown and khaki and, and green. Sure. It just sees the pattern, which is the whole point. Yeah, and then uh, the other cool thing about zebra stripes is they are uh, specific to the zebra. It's like a fingerprint. Oh, yeah. So they help them identify each other uh, or maybe the pack. Like, oh, look at that pack. That's not my pack because those stripes are not my stripes. Right. This is pretty interesting. Or this is uh, King Seraphon. Yeah. Uh, king of the zebras. And I can <laughs> tell it's him because of his stripes. And by the way, when I say pack, I mean herd. Herd, you're right. So save your emails. <clears throat> well, what's neat is, so zebras do work in herds or live in herds, and they use stripes to identify one another. Like a mom will be able to keep an eye on her kid, sure. her foal, um, from a ways off, because to a zebra, it's plainly obvious that that's her kid. It yeah. doesn't look like anything else. To us, you know, it looks exactly the same. Right. Um, but another... Uh, another um, adaptive measure of the animal camouflage of zebras is that since they do exist in herds, it makes it really hard for a lion to pick out what the heck is going on Yeah, when you've got a herd of zebras because their stripes are running into each other and you can't tell which zebras ends where or begins where. And uh, it makes it harder for them to pick out like the weak and the injured. Yeah, and that's the same true with a lot of uh, striped fish. Mm -hmm. um, a shark might just see a big blob of stripey things, right, and not realize, and that's why it's you know they travel in schools. Not the only reason, but mm -hmm. uh, to help themselves look larger and just sort of blend in as a big gelatinous, stripey, fluorescent thing. Exactly, because they're kind of like, well, there's no way that a shark's not going to see this school of fish, or there's no way a lion's not going to see this herd of zebras. Yeah, but we can make it really difficult for this predator to create a good attack strategy. Because this is very confusing. That's right. And that's called disruptive coloration. Uh, it's a pretty neat um, trick that they use. Uh, another thing they, they can use is uh, what they call visual disruption. Visual? Yeah. Did, did I say that funny? That's typically how it's pronounced. <laughs> it sounded weird coming out of my mouth. Visual. Yeah. Uh, this is when patterns are out of line with the body's contours. So it looks like um, someone has thrown uh, some sort of projection uh, superimposed on top of that animal. Right, or it looks like it really just blends in with the the grasses or whatever that it's walking among. Right. Rather than, if it did follow the contours, it'd be like, oh, well, look at that zebra right there standing in the grass. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Another cool thing that animals can do is imitation or mimicry. And this is when they say, you know what, I... I can't manage being ignored. I'm not that good, but at least I can um, be seen. I can't manage to not be seen because uh -huh. I'm not that good, right. but maybe I can manage to be ignored. Yeah. Like, I'm a walking stick insect. and um, Those are so neat. They're so cool because they look so much like twigs and yeah. sticks. And that's what they're trying to do. They're like, well, I know you see me, but hopefully you just think I'm a stick. It's funny. It looks like a stick with the head of a beaker from the Muppets. Yeah. Um, the katydids, another one. You ever seen those? They look like leaves. Yeah, like really curled look a lot like leaves, green leaves. Yeah. Um, did you see the hawk moth caterpillar? Yeah, that's one of my favorites. It is 
awesome. I was like, what do you mean it looks like a snake? Come on. And then I did a Google image search. Yeah. It looks exactly like a snake. It does. Like, I would be freaked out thinking it was a snake, and I'm a smart human. Yeah. There's certain uh, photos I've seen, I think, maybe the one you found where it compares a snake to this thing. No, I, I didn't see one compared. It was just on its face. Yeah. Prima facie. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And that is the hawk moth caterpillar, our favorite moth caterpillar. For sure. Oh, another thing that uh, they can do sometimes if they live uh, in an ecosystem where um, a lot of times, like, super poisonous animals are really brightly colored. Oh, yeah. The non-poisonous animals will be like, you know what? Everyone's ignoring that guy because if they eat it, he will die. So over time, let's ourselves evolve to have bright colors, even though we're not poisonous. Yeah. So we can look like that dude that is poisonous. False flag camouflaging. Brilliant, brilliant color mimicry. So, Chuck, you got anything else? I got nothing else. That was Animal Camouflage, one of our great um, animal episodes. Those are always fun. They make me feel like a kid. Yeah, I mean, agreed. You know? Sure. Uh, if you want to learn more about Animal Camouflage, you should type those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Don't forget the you. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Greetings from Connecticut is what I'll call this. Uh, because Christina lives in Connecticut. It <laughs> makes sense. Or as I like to say, Connecticut. Okay. That's how I remember how to spell it. Sure. Why is that C in there? It's sort of weird. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank you guys for your podcast on bipolar disorder. I've struggled with uh, this since I was first diagnosed at 18 with bipolar 2. I always said I got the short end of the stick in disorders as I <clears> suffer <throat> from only small bouts of highs and long bouts of lows. Oh, yeah. Uh, most recently, I suffered a nervous breakdown due to stress from work. I'm currently on medical leave from work. My bipolar has progressed to hallucinations, oh, no. which are not fun. I see something that my mind is trying to tell myself isn't really there, but the anxiety and fear that uh, it's really there overcomes me. Uh, my family is old school and chooses to ignore it. Old school. That's one way to say that. Sure. Um, and act like it isn't happening. Um, I should also add... But I come from a family of medical professionals and therapists. That's, wow, that doesn't make sense. No, that's very surprising. They're like, absolutely, honey, there's a clown with a knife coming at you for sure. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a good strategy. No, not at all. Uh, I sent your podcast to my family, though, and it allowed us to have an open conversation about what is going on. Oh, neat. I'm a little alarmed that her medical professional families needed our show. Right, but we saved the day, though. So We did. Uh, your podcast truly is a wonderful tool for anyone that wants to explain to someone what we struggle with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you guys are great and often keep me company while I paint during my hypomanic episodes. So she is eternally grateful, and that is Christina. And uh, Christina, I wrote you back, but hang in there. I hope your family is more understanding now, and I'm glad we could help. Yeah, for real. Thank you very much for letting us know about that, Christina. We appreciate it. Um, if we have helped you through a tough time or fostered a conversation that uh, panned out well, just the ones that panned out well, we want to hear about those. Yeah, I don't want to hear if uh, you got in a fist fight because of something we said. No, it's not our fault. Unless you won. <laughs> uh, you can let us know about all this stuff and more by tweeting to us at SYSK Podcast, by hanging out with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash stuff you should know, or by sending us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And don't forget our great website, our home on the web, the internet clubhouse known as stuffyoushouldknow.com. <laughs> 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 